Where Nobody Knows Your Name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 18, One Last Fling. It aired on 12th of February 1987. It's written by Cherie Aiken and Bill Steinkellner and directed by James Burrows. Joining me for this is Barry. Hello, James. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Did a two-parter just gone? One parter this time? Yes, back to a more condensed format. And uh, I really enjoyed this episode. It's an interesting one. It has a few elements that we'll come to later that, again, present some characters in not so good a light. But the overall message, I think, is quite a nice one. Cold open, I quite like it as well. It explains why Woody has a cast on his arm bit of context, Woody Harrelson broke his arm when he flipped a car during a practice for the pro-celebrity preliminary of the 1987 Toyota Grand Prix. He had to get a cast, so they wrote a reason why Woody Boyd had a cast. That explains it for me, James, because it was a very isolated incident in the episode. So Woody says he hurt his thumb, or or maybe broke his thumb. Frazier is inquiring about how this happened. Cue a very long-winded story about Woody playing pool, which has nothing to do with the thumb. Oh, well, it's a long story, but uh, I was playing this guy some pool last night, and I had this 147 combination. So I was trying to show off and sink all of them in one shot. But the balls were positioned in such a way that I had to lean way over the edge yeah. of the table and getting a kind of twisted up. Yeah, so you watched your fell and you broke your thumb. No. I still couldn't get the shot, so I went and got the bridge, and I got up on a chair, and I put all my weight on the bridge. And it snapped, and you fell and it broke your thumb? No. <laughs> I made the shot, and I beat the guy. Oh, so he got angry, and he broke your thumb, right? No, I beat him fair and square, and he paid me the 10 bucks he owed so how did you break your thumb? I slipped on the ice on the way home. Another lovely Woody moment. Fraser is outraged that all that information is there when Woody just slipped on the ice. I don't know who to side with. Uh, it does make a better story. Woody and Fraser are quite contrary, aren't they, characters? Fraser's a man who would need to inspect everything and find reason for everything. And Woody is someone who takes things much more at face value and enjoys things more as a result. I'll tell you who would... Hate Woody. Anton Chekhov. You'll have none of Woody's nonsense. Anton Chekhov very much believed uh, in a story. Only have what's necessary and relevant. Ah, and, and who is... Anton Chekhov. He was a playwright by Russian playwright. In The Seagull, there's a gun, which is mentioned early in the story. And then at the end, it goes off. Boom. Is this along the lines of the theory that if someone coughs in a show, they will probably die of something later on? Probably. So never cough on TV is, is my advice. Yes, I thought you meant never cough onto a TV. That's also good advice. It is, yeah. I, I think your chances of getting electrocuted from cough spittle are minimal. Uh, again, with the bodily fluid top. <laughs> so we've dwelled on our cold open. <laughs> <laughs> How does this episode start, James? Carla being annoyed that she's got ticketed. And Fraser thinks she's going back to school, but it's not the kind of school that Fraser is referring to. It's traffic school. Fraser thought Carla was going into, suppose, higher education, you could say, but it isn't. I have an interesting fact. Present me that fact, James. I will. I'll present it to you on a silver platter, no less. When Fraser praises Carla for going back into higher education, Carla calls Fraser a certain term. Do you remember what that term is? No. It's Nimrod. Ah, okay. You have the original meaning of Nimrod, do you? 
Nimrod nowadays is meant to mean like an idiot or a foolish person, but it was actually a great hunter from the Bible, and it wasn't until Bugs Bunny used it to sarcastically refer to Elmer Fudd that it became more of an insult for idiot because a lot of people watching it didn't necessarily understand or use it in that sense following that. I found this interesting because an early Frasier episode was The Heart is a Lonely Snipe Hunter, where he was not a good hunter because he was hunting something which was either non-existent or just difficult to catch. A really interesting derivation. Thanks, James. Yeah. Now you gorge yourself on that fact. So that's the sense of Carla. I just say, not as much going on with that story. The Carla speeding story pops in and out of this episode, but fizzles away quite quickly. It doesn't really go anywhere, but it does provide a few interesting comedy moments. Big story, though, centres around Sam and Diane. They're preparing for their wedding, and this starts with Diane forcing Sam to pick floral patterns for plates and other stuff that married couples buy. Yes, getting their initials on finger towels, I think she calls them. I don't know what a finger towel is, but... (laughs) Is it like a regular towel, just very small? I would imagine so. I mean, certainly sometimes my hands do get wet and I do need a towel, but I'm not sure I need a specialist towel for my fingers. Yeah. You're not getting out of a bath or a shower and something and you go like, well, the rest of me is dry, but this this towel did nothing for my fingers. (laughs) These are the trials of man that Sam is being put through. He's not very interested at all in all this, but he's doing it to appease Diane's wants. Which I think is probably it's what Sam's been doing for <laughs> a lot of years. Yes, but it's what makes Diane happy. This is the give and take of marriage. That it be. Although they're not married yet. And we are coming into the last throes of pre-marriage as the episode moves into a bachelor party or discussions of between the patrons of the bar. And of course they go, well, we're going to need entertainment, drinks. And this to me was interesting because with them getting champagne, it illustrated something about bachelor parties, which has been mentioned in quite a few shows that the bachelor parties aren't for the bachelor. No. Because Sam doesn't drink. We know this. Mm -hmm. We know the talk of bachelor parties or stag parties, as we call them over here, generally can be quite raucous, unsavoury affairs in a lot of cases, but really shouldn't be. I've never understood the need for one last blowout uh, or one last sowing of oats, which this episode alludes to later. But they do go, I suppose, with your typical affair of we're going to need a lady to jump out of a cake. And Woody says something which I agreed with, saying that seems like a waste of cake. Yes. (laughs) You're never a man to give up a good snack, are you, James? Are you referring to the cake or? (laughs) But he's right, in a way, to put my romantic hat on. (laughs) If Sam has found the perfect lady. What does your romantic hat look like? Well, it's velvety, obviously. It's quite sizable. Scarlet, is it? Oh, let's say so. Yeah, let's do that. I'm wearing it right now. It really, if you are looking for the perfect woman to jump out of a cake and you've met the perfect woman because you're going to marry her, then the two do go hand in hand. Woody's come to the perfect conclusion, really. Of stick your fiancé in a cake. Yeah, if that's your perfect woman because you're marrying her, then who better to be jumping out of your cake on your stag do? But we all know in practice that doesn't make a good suggestion. I I agree with his other point, though. Woman and a cake, fine. But why do you need the woman jumping out of the cake? Isolate them. Yeah, the only downside would be that Diane would be shivering in her lingerie (laughs) uh, in the corner while you gorge yourself on cake, James. (laughs) And also, presented with your uh, future wife and a huge cake, I think that 
you might get yourself into trouble if the cake is the first <laughs> that you go to. If they're going to marry me, they've going to accept me for who I am. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they suggest having a large cake with a lady jump out of it, and Woody presents this idea to Diane, much against the others. Well, the, the others seem to want to dissuade him, but don't get in there quick enough, really. Even to Diane's hesitation initially. Yes, Diane says no, but this prompts Woody to say, well, we'll have to find another woman, which of course gets Diane's jealousy meters going up. So she agrees to be in the cake. And of course, we all know where this is going now. This is standard comedy writing. Big bachelor party, big cake. A cake arrives and they go, speech, speech, speech. Yeah, before you're left with one woman for the rest of your life. <laughs> yes. And I imagine this cake probably wasn't cake all the way through. I'm hoping there was some sort of cavity for Diane to be in. I think with the big cakes, what they do is they have like cardboard or wood and then they just put icing on it, which yeah. I'm not too impressed by. Would you rather that Diane was somehow immersed entirely in sponge and had to fight her way out? It would make it more entertaining, I think. Just add a little bit of a Houdini frisson to the whole thing. Slight danger. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just like big cake. Yeah. I like big cake and I cannot lie. Yeah. And, and I've got a feeling that if a scantily clad woman was to break out that cake, disappointment would be your first <laughs> <laughs> response. It'd be shock. And also disappointment that the cake had somehow been soiled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> food is definitely a... Uh, what's it in Star Trek? The Prime Directive. I think you would travel the galaxy looking for edible planets. The perfect snack. <laughs> Sam has to give this speech, and we'll play the speech. One woman for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, she's, she's, a, she's a great woman, but yeah. there's only one of her. <laughs> for the rest of my life. So does yeah. but, you know, it'll go quickly. Just go ahead. <laughs> Boy, it really makes you think. That, I mean, I've been a bachelor a good long time and a good lot of women. Now there won't be any more women. Just woman. One woman. Yeah, but what a woman. I mean, you know what? I've got an idea. Why don't we have some cake? One perfume. One set of earlobes. Not, not even sensitive earlobes. One pair of lips flapping in my ear <laughs> day after day until i die oh my god <laughs> sammy sammy that's great we got a big wonderful cake here you know now i i thought that the speech was generally okay it's only in the final lines where he really he starts criticizing her earlobes which is oddly personal it is personal but it's not awful but i i think that it's only the final line is where he crosses line where he finally succumbs to the idea that one last fling would be a good idea. Up to that point, I think it's just the musings of someone who's about to enter into a huge commitment. And actually, it almost takes a bit of prodding from the audience to get him to that stage. Uh, I say the audience, the other staggies. Yes, he lets himself down, but I don't think he's he's awful. So to obviously, Diane pops out of this cake and is annoyed. Uh, scantily clad and annoyed, which is a difficult combination to pull off. But a very accommodating bachelor, uh, one of Sam's bachelors, helps her down from the cake, almost unprompted. Barry was having a great time. Well, you say that. I mean, I imagine lifting anything to me is is not fun. <laughs> I like how the takeaway from this episode is just going, the best bit of the bachelor party was the cake. Yes. <laughs> she storms out. She's heard everything he said from within the cake. Sam has been caught out 
as a dirty philanderer who actually didn't quite get that far. So we cut to the next morning. In the morning, Diane comes into the bar, is obviously upset, but Sam is very apologetic and tries to instantly be nice to her and get her to forget the whole thing. This is where they have this kind of conversation where Diane acknowledges that Sam is a lecherous fellow and he's had relationships with many women. Sam actually says a line here that's a very man line. I didn't say all that stuff last night to hurt your feelings, which is a very odd way of looking at a, a hurtful thing you've said. It's similar to Homer Simpson, but Marge, I swear I thought you'd never find out. Yes. <laughs> I've literally got that line written down here, James. One of my favourite ever Homer Simpson lines. But it leads to a proposition. And what is that proposition, James? Just the last temptation of Sam. 24 hours to do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. Yeah. And I think the phrase that Diane uses is a flesh binge. (laughs) (laughs) The visuals that that puts into my head are, oh, thank goodness this is a podcast, I'd say. It's a very visual phrase, isn't it? Flesh binge. Flesh binge. It actually reminds me of the film Society, which... I'm not going to put down as a recommendation to our listeners, (laughs) but Society is a very odd 1980s film that throughout most of its runtime appears to be a social commentary about rich and poor in a sort of affluent American neighborhood. And then all of a sudden for the last 10 minutes turns into a flesh binge as our affluent society turns out to be sort of flesh melding aliens. There's this one film about Roman emperors. I forgot what it's called, but it had... Is it Caligula? Caligula, that's it, yeah. That's very flesh bingy. It is, isn't it? And actually, I think they've got a lot of quite big stars to... Malcolm McDowell, I think, isn't it, isn't he? Yeah. Is it Helen Mirren? Helen Mirren, want to say John Hurt, possibly also. Or John Hurt may have played Caligula in I, Claudius. Mm. But certainly persuaded a lot of people to appear in various states of undress... But then also, I think they roped in adult actors to perform on set around. uh, As in pornographic actors. Yes. Yes. Rather than just adults. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Basically, what we're saying is we're not recommending these films, but they are films of a flesh binge. Yeah, they fall into the category on IMDb of flesh binge. (laughs) And Sam vehemently agrees. Yes, until Diane points out that it would not only be his uh, last night of pleasure, but hers as well. Yeah, she goes, I shall also partake in pleasures of the flesh. Instantly turns Sam's head. But it doesn't stop him from opening his secret cache and finding his hidden black book, which I thought was very underhand. Yeah, he said that he burnt it or something when they got engaged, but actually just hid it in the head of a moose. Well, of course. And that's where you hide all your secrets. Yeah, certainly a good hiding place. I think if I was a suspicious wife, the last (laughs) place I would look for sort of guilty paraphernalia would be the head of a moose. That's a well-placed secret, that is. Your cogs were worrying there, James. You were looking for a moose pun, weren't you? I was going to say, it's glad that he had his stag do last night. Yes, that's reasonable. (laughs) It's where he goes when he wants to get the horn. Oh. (laughs) Oh, No, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> I think we've been slightly uh, poisoned by our flesh binge earlier. 
poisoned by a flesh bringe. That's the second most disgusting phrase you've said on this podcast. (laughs) So what happens? Let's move on. They go into the 24 hours of hedonism is essentially. And it's quite cleverly, our next scene is quite clever introduced because Sam rolls into the bar in a state of slight undress haggard looking like he's had the time of his life you'd think for all the world that he'd gone on an alcohol-fueled binge and he's still in the same clothes so he's obviously not been home but actually when diane comes in she's still in the same clothes as well which meant neither of them went home yeah so what naughtiness did these two get up to on their last night of hedonism but this is where it swings around to quite a nice ending presented with the opportunity to get that one last fling out of the system what is it they do well they go home and sam was like i know you didn't go home last night diane's like yeah how do you know that because i was spying on your home last night and you weren't there she was like you were spying sam but i was spying on you <laughs> yeah so we have a, a dual spying situation going on and uh, it turns out that neither one trusts the other <laughs> Which is not the most romantic thing in the world, but at least they were so concerned. A mutual distrust is the foundation of any uh, good sitcom relationship. (laughs) Yes. So they've spent the whole evening watching out for each other, which is kind of sweet. At least their focus is on each other. But they've got five minutes left. And Diane tells us to Sam and he goes, well, why didn't you tell me? And he leaves the office and Diane goes, damn you, Sam. Opens the door and he's like, nah, I'm still here. And then cue a Benny Hill style chase around the office. And Diane's like, Sam, I've got to work and you're my boss. This is far from appropriate. Yeah, just as the marriage, the entire relationship. But a nice ending. I still think that Sam is a dirty so-and-so having his little black book stashed away in there. And he will always have his, you know, temptations, I'm sure. People can't necessarily control what they think, but they can control what they do and act upon. This is true. Yeah, very true. In fact, in fact, that's that's all we do every day, isn't it? Condition ourselves to not say the bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that that's what most people's work life is, is holding back the bad thing in most meetings. Not saying it, just letting your eyes do the talking. Yeah, glancing to your work colleagues and acknowledging that they also thought the bad thing, but didn't say the bad thing. That's it. I think you're right, Jim. I think you've nailed it there. So you're essentially saying that our whole lives we spend bottling up negative feelings in order to get by. (laughs) Yeah, and so that others uh, think that we're decent human beings. Yes. What a wholesome episode this has been. (laughs) Yes, but I think we've solved a lot. Oh, is that the door, James? I think it is the door. That means we've got some questions. Do you want me to kick us off? Yeah, why not? One side story in this episode is Carla's trip to traffic school because she's been caught speeding. But how does Carla explain the reason she was caught for speeding? She was caught going at 80 when trying to blow a leaf off her windshield. Yes. She also tried to offer her body to the cop in order to avoid the ticket. Yes. I guess there's, there's an element of jealousy here. I'm not sure I could pull the offering my body to a, <laughs> a traffic cop. Better men than me have tried. <laughs> Who was Woody playing pool with? Ah, I miss the name. His friend. I'll, I will go with his friend, James. <laughs> it's Pete, one of the barflies. And I guess now is the time to talk about all the barflies. We've got Tom Holland as Rick, otherwise known as Joe Holland. This was his film TV debut. He also appeared in The Hitchhiker, 
Down Twisted, Back to the Beach, and Booker. Peter Schreiner played Pete, Mark Arnott as Mark, Tim Cunningham as Tim, Steve Ginelli as Steve, Larry Harpel as Larry, and this is Larry's last appearance in Cheers. Uh, before he goes on, it's worth noting that he was an alumnus of the original Woodstock in 1969. Alan Costa appears as Alan, Hugh McGuire as Hugh, and Al Rosen is uncredited as Al choosing what they do for the stag do cliff recommends they get a video but where does he recommend they get the video from hot and nasty video boutique yes i remember my first experience with an adult video was when my brother's friends from school invited me to join them (laughs) to watch a adult video i think i must have been about 14 and it turned out i wasn't there to watch the video i was there to sit behind the curtains to see when parents were arriving home (laughs) So I can claim that I was in the room. You heard the video. Uh, Even that was slightly muffled by the curtains. I was literally (laughs) sitting on the windowsill with the curtains around me. So when uh, my dad arrived home to see a boy pressed against the window, (laughs) he must have thought, what on earth was going on? What does Sam describe Diane as in his popcorn analogy? The last kernel of popcorn. Ah, well, he doesn't, because the last kernel of popcorn would be his last fling before Diane. So she's the... The remains, the salt and duds, he describes. There's some great phrases in here. Flesh bringe, salt and duds. Yeah, this has been a, a doozy. He's describing popcorn accurately. I wouldn't think it's an accurate metaphor in the way that when you're eating popcorn, yes, when I run out of popcorn, I'm sad. But I don't think it's a it's an accurate way to describe one's partner's. <laughs> is what I'm saying. No, no, <laughs> no. I agree. Yeah. What I'm saying is I like popcorn back. <laughs> but in in a sense, you would be sad when the last popcorn's gone. Yeah. Which is your favourite, James? Salted, sweet, salt and sweetie. Salt, salt and sweet. I like the suspense that you get with a combination. <laughs> and it's a bit more of everything, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of an adventure. Mm. If you're just having salt, you're, after a while, you like, well, I mean, this does fit into Sam's metaphor. After a while of the same thing, you're going, well, this is boring now. But mm. salt and sweet, you're going, whoa, what's next? That's the final call now. What can we say of this episode? I agree with you that it was a good episode. Mm. Although some characters could have been portrayed in a bad light, this certainly redeemed them in some regard by the end. Yeah, and I think it was a nice, succinct episode as well. We've seen a lot of sort of rambling back and forths with Diane and Sam, and this one is actually quite a nice encapsulated, and it shows, it ends well. It ends showing that they are devoted to each other, albeit through mistrust and jealousy. (laughs) The cornerstone of all relationships. Yeah. If you want to snack on something as tasty as popcorn, then check out our Patreon where we've got bonus facts for you to snack on, as well as the opportunity to be a norm where we name drop you in every episode of our podcast. But as a special, big hefty cake. And are we in agreement that this cake will be made entirely of cake rather than having a suffocated individual inside? It will be 100% cake. Yeah, 100% cake, maybe with some guilt afterwards. Uh, 0% woman. 0% Our gorging, our binge will be purely of the uh, cake flesh. What a way to end this episode. I feel when Barry comes on, you're guaranteed for some humorous, if slightly disgusting wordplay. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't have it any other way, Barry. 
thank you, James. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you for listening. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.